Well, I think it's worthy. Thank you, choir. Today we continue our series from the Old Testament. For the past several weeks, we have been looking at stories and characters in the Old Testament just to remind ourselves of these stories. And today our focus is going to be on Samson. Now, we probably best know him physically. Samson was strong and handsome. I would imagine that during his time he appeared on the covers of of all of the health and fitness magazines. I can see the headlines of the stories. Samson kills lion with bare hands. Or uh, Samson took the jawbone of a donkey and slew a thousand Philistines. And so he, he was a strong man, a handsome man. He was also socially someone that you would enjoy being around. He was witty. He had a way with riddles, and so he was a person you would have enjoyed being around. I think the thing that is perplexing about him is his spiritual connection. Now, the Bible tells us that before Samson was born, that an angel announced to his mother that he was going to be born. And so the Scripture says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman, his mother, and said to her, Behold, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. So when we think about Samson, an angel announced his birth. And the Bible says that from the womb he was a Nazarite. He was set apart to be special to God and to God's work. There were three characteristics of a Nazarite vow. Now, he was a Nazarite. What does that mean? Well, first of all, it meant that a Nazarite was someone who did not touch wine, who had nothing to do with the grape. In fact, it says in Numbers 6, 3, He shall abstain from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar, whether made from wine or strong drink. Neither shall he drink any grape juice, nor eat fresh or dried grapes. So that was a part of the Nazarite vow. If someone was to be a Nazarite, then they were not to have anything to do with the grape. Secondly, if one were a Nazarite, then that one is not to cut their hair. And the Bible says in number 6, 5, All the days of his vow of separation, no razor shall pass over his head. He shall let the locks of hair on his head grow long. So a Nazarite then was not to touch the grape, have nothing to do with that. He was to allow his hair to grow long, and then he was not to touch anything that was dead. The Bible says in number 6-6, he shall not go near a dead person. So the Bible says that from his mother's womb he was a Nazarite. He was not to touch the grape. He was to let his hair grow long. And he wasn't to touch anything that was dead. So when we look at Samson, you see that his birth was, uh, was announced by an angel, that he was a Nazarite from his mother's womb, and yet he fell into sin. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Judges chapter 16. We'll begin in verse number 18, that portion of his life story when uh, he was with Delilah. Judges chapter 16, verse number 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, 
Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. And she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to afflict him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out, as at other times, and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes, and they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. Now, from this story, we learn how powerful is the temptation of sin. Now, folks, it has been said before that God breaks us at our point of strength to make us better. Satan attacks us at our point of weakness to destroy us. Now, then, as I look at Samson, there would be two areas, particularly, I believe, of weakness in his life. The first was pride. I think that Samson had a problem with pride. Now, the reason I say that is because apparently he believed that he could violate his Nazarite vow without any consequences. Now, let's go back to the vow, the Nazarite vow. Now, what? there were three things. What were they? First of all, he was not to have anything to do with the grape. He was not to touch wine. And yet the Bible says in Judges 14.10, Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. Brian Hill commented, this was a wild bachelor bash. The Hebrew word used here means a drinking bash. So, according to the Nazarite vow, he is not to touch wine. He's to have nothing to do with the grape. And yet he threw a toga party. So first of all, he violated that part of the vow. Secondly, he's not to cut his hair. Well, we saw that his hair got cut. And thirdly, he was not to touch anything that was dead. And the Bible says in Judges 14, verses 8 and 9, He turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion... And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on eating as he went. So in the Nazarite vow then, he was not to touch wine. He was not to have his hair cut. He was not to touch anything that was dead. He did all three. I think his problem was pride in that he believed that he could do whatever he chose to do without suffering any consequences for his disobedience. The second area of weakness in his life was pleasure. He had uh, a weakness for women. Now, if you will look over chapter 14, verse number 1. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Chapter 16, verse number 1. Now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went in to her. Chapter 16, verse number 4. 
After this it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. So when I look at Samson, it seems to me that he had two areas of weakness, pride and pleasure. He violated both. Now, what I want to say to you is to understand concerning temptation that Satan is going to attack you at your point of weakness. So what's your area of weakness? Well, for some, it's probably pride. Paul Powell wrote, pride is so subtle that if we aren't careful, we'll be proud of our humility. So there are some people whose, whose area of weakness is pride, and God can speak to you, and God can lead you, but you don't respond to God. Why? Because of pride. That's an area of weakness for some people is pride. Or it could be approval. Stephen Covey wrote that, Psychological air or approval is man's greatest need. And, and so for some people, that area of weakness in their life is a desire for approval. I want to be liked. I want to be approved. And so as a result of that, Satan attacks at that point, and we are disobedient to the Lord. We are not responsive to the Lord because we want to be liked or approved by someone else, and that is an area of weakness. Could be power, desire for power. There, there are many people who have a desire for power, and that's the point of attack for their lives. Chuck Colson says that power corrupts, absolute power absolutely corrupts, and it does. Or it could be wealth, a desire for wealth. But th the thing is, is that Satan attacks you at your point of weakness. So what is your area of weakness? We need to know that. We need to know where we are strong. We need to know where we are weak because Satan is going to attack us at those points of weakness. And he attacks us relentlessly. Temptation may not get you today, but it's going to be back tomorrow. I read uh, where someone said, you're getting along in years when you don't dare to resist temptation for fear you won't get another chance. Well, Satan doesn't give up that easily. Temptation is going to be back. And so if you have temptation today and you deal with it, that's wonderful, but understand that it's coming back. And we see that with Samson. Look at verse number 16 of our text. And it came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. The Bible says that she pressed him daily. Every day she is pressing him. One commentator wrote, Delilah had this fond fool at an advantage. Well, she certainly did because every day he was over there. Daily she pressed him. She urged him. And the Bible says that he became annoyed with it. Samson is annoyed. Matthew Henry wrote, She continued many days vexation to him with her importunity, so that he had no pleasure of his life. Why then did he not leave her? Now that's a good question. If she is pressing him daily, urging him daily, and he becomes annoyed with it all, why didn't he leave? Because he didn't want to be rescued. Do you ever get in that situation? You know that you are dealing in an area that is potentially damaging to you, that is sinful for you. And yet you continue because you don't want to be rescued. 
Satan's temptations are relentless. Now, that's the reason that parents are always concerned when their kids go off to college. You know, they know that there's going to be temptations there that you haven't dealt with before. I remember when, when my children went to college, and I, I told them, I said, Look, you know, your mom and dad are not going to be there. We're not going to be looking over your shoulder all the time. You're going to be able to do some things that uh, we have uh, taught against. And so now we have to trust you to do what is right, what you have been taught. Because whenever you are in that environment, there's going to be relentless uh, temptation. It's, it's no different when you get out of school. Now, some of you think, well, boy, whenever I get out of school and I'm old, I'm 25 years old, I'm not going to have this problem anymore. You, you never get out of it. It's just that the temptation changes. Some of you at work, you get involved in a conversation with someone there, and it goes deeper and deeper, and, and you, you find yourself in a relationship that you never intended. But there's always the relentless pursuit of temptation. So we see the power of temptation. Understand that Satan is going to, he's going to attack you at your point of weakness, and the temptation is going to be relentless. Folks, you never get past it. It just changes. Because what is tempting in one age is not necessarily in another, but there's something else that is tempting. We see the power of temptation, and then we see the, the pattern of sin. And I think what happens to us is that we come to the place where we think we can handle temptation and we become spiritually careless. I can handle it. And the Bible warns us of this deception. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 10:12, Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. When you think that you can handle it, be careful, because you are set up for a fall. You remember when Jesus was saying to Peter and the disciples that one of you is going to deny me, one of you is going to betray me, and so forth. And Simon Peter heard that, and he said, Lord, don't worry about me. I can handle this. Now, these other guys, I understand you worrying about them, but don't worry about me. I think I can handle this. And Jesus said in Luke 22:31, Simon... Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And you know the result of it. Simon Peter thought that he could handle it, but he was the one who denied the Lord three times. Probably out of that, he warns us. And so in 1 Peter 5, 8, he wrote, Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So Peter warned us. And yet in spite of the warnings we have, and we have warnings, in spite of the warnings, we become careless. So did Samson. Look at verse number 15. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. You see, here's the thing with Samson. I can handle this woman. I've already lied to her three times and got away with it. I can handle this woman. And he became careless as a result of it. What about David? When David was up on the rooftop and he looked down and saw Bathsheba bathing, well, he should have gone back into the palace. But no, he stayed up there and watched. Why? Because he could handle that. You see, we become careless, and when we become careless, we become vulnerable to temptation. Linda and I were talking one time. And uh, Linda 
Um, sometimes she keeps me on a rather short chain about things. And we were talking along those lines, and, um, and I said, you know, it's not the first look that's sin, it's the second look. She said, well, it depends on how long you look the first time. <laughs> you see, when we get to the place we think we can handle sin, we become careless and therefore we are vulnerable and Satan attacks. And I want you to see that his attack is progressive. Now, you can read this, but in verse number 6, she says, tell me. Verse number 10, she says, you've told me lies. Verse number 13, she said, no, I'm not really joking. Verse number 15, she says, you don't love me. Well, that'll get you one of guys. You don't love me. And then in verse number 16, it says that she pressed him. But do you see how temptation works? It gets more and more intense. The longer we stay with it, the more intense it becomes. For instance, that's exactly what happened to Eve when she was tempted. In Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. Now, did you see that? She saw it. It was delightful. She desired it. And then she took it. When we become careless with sin, Satan attacks, and we yield progressively to the temptation. Temptation is progressive. I mean, it gets more and more and more intense. Our yielding to it is also progressive, as it was with Samson. In verse number 7, he's answering her. He said, well, if they bind me with fresh cords... She continued to press him in verse number 11. Well, if they bind me with new ropes. Verse number 13. If they weave the seven locks of my hair. Now, do you notice he's getting closer? If they weave the seven locks of my hair. Now, then he's getting closer. If they, if they bind me with fresh ropes, cords. If they weave the locks, he is getting closer now. Verse 17, so he told her all. We yield to sin one step at a time, don't we? Just one step at a time. I've told you before, and I'm sure that some of you have the same experience, that I was out of church for years. I was brought up in church, but I was out of church for years. Well, that didn't happen, you know, like I'm, I'm faithfully going to church. I never miss. I've got all my Sunday school pins on my lapel and all that stuff. I mean, I've been going faithfully, and then one day I said, well, I'm not going anymore. It didn't happen that way. It happened a little at a time. I said, I don't want to go today, and so I didn't go. And then the next Sunday, you know, maybe I'd go, and the next Sunday maybe I didn't go. But a little. And the next thing I knew, I looked around. I hadn't been in church in years. Didn't intend for it to work out that way. It's just the way that it worked out. Same thing is true with drug addiction. Whenever someone begins with their first time of taking drugs, do they plan on becoming an addict? Man, I hope I can end up an addict, live on the streets. No, they don't, they don't start that way. But they have, a, you know, a hit on a joint, and then there's a mouse, and then there's something else, and, they, and after a while they end up an addict. But it, it happens a little bit at a time. I remember in my last church... 
there was a man who was a member of the church who called me and he said, I'm in trouble. And he wanted to come by and talk with me. And so he came by and he, and he told me the story about how he worked for this company. And he said that I had an opportunity to make an investment that I thought was going to make a, some money. And he said, so I took some money out of the company and I invested and he lost money. And then he said, I took some more money to cover that, lost some money. He said, I'm in trouble. He said, I have embezzled over a million dollars now. Didn't intend for it to be that way. That's just the way that it happened, a little bit at a time. Then he went to prison, of course, as a a result of it. But, folks, that's the pattern of sin. We become careless in our dealing with temptation and sin, and when we do, Satan attacks us. Thirdly, there's the penalty of sin, and there's a penalty to the sinner. Look at verse number 21. Then the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes. Samson was physically blinded, but what I want you to understand is that when we sin, we become spiritually blinded. Our minds are blinded. When we get involved, in, isn't it amazing to you that when we get involved in sin, how our minds can become blinded and we can rationalize just about anything we're doing? Because we become blinded. Our hearts become hardened. In Ephesians 4.18, being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. You see, that's what happens when we get involved in sin. Just as he was blinded physically, so we are blinded spiritually when we get involved in sin. He continues there in verse number 21. And they brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains. Satan always promises us freedom if we yield, doesn't he? He did to Eve back there. He says, you know, you eat of this fruit. I know it's forbidden. You eat of this fruit. You're going to become like God. Did she? No, not hardly. There's a story of the prodigal son. He left home because he wanted to be free. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. He wanted his freedom, so he left home. And then he ended up in a pig pen serving a citizen of another country. Folks, that's what sin does. It promises us freedom, but it binds us. It continues there in verse number 21. And he was a grinder in the prison. Samson the judge became a slave. He went from being a judge to being a jester. That's what sin does. See, a little bit at a time we yield to sin, but that's what sin does. Not only is there a penalty to the sinner, there's also a penalty to others. I, I get aggravated sometimes when I hear people talk about sin and say, well, it doesn't affect anybody, just me. It's a choice that I'm making. You know, that's, that's, it's like in football. If the lineman jumps offside, they don't just penalize him. They don't just say to the lineman, now you go back there ten yards. They say to the whole team, you've got to go back. Well, the same thing is true with us. Whenever we get into sin, there are other people who are affected by it. It encourages ungodliness. Look in verse number 23. Now the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their God and to rejoice. For they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. Samson's defeat was their God's victory. Our sin discourages those who are weak. There are people who look to you, dear friend, or some of you, it's your children, people at work and so forth. They know that you're a Christian, and they look to you, and if you fall into sin, then they are discouraged. 
I mean, because they think, well, now if this guy or this woman falls into sin, what chance do I have? And so sin discourages other people and it disgraces God. In verse 24, when the people saw him, they praised their God. When they saw Samson, they praised their God. There is a passage of Scripture in the New Testament concerning John the Baptist, and, and uh, I've always wished that it could be said of me. I don't expect that. But it's when they heard John speak, they followed Jesus. I thought, what a tr- I, that's what I would want on my, on, if I were John the Baptist, I'd want that as my epitaph on my tombstone. They heard John speak and they followed Jesus. When they saw Samson, they praised their God. It disgraces God, the penalty of sin. Well, uh, we're just about out here, so let me conclude on a positive note. Even in sin, God does not leave His children. Look at verse number 22. However, the hair of his head began to grow again after it was shaved off. And that symbolizes the presence of God. That even though he had been through this, his hair had been cut, he'd done all those things, violated his Nazarite vow, done all the things that he had done, his hair began to grow again. The presence of God. Simon Peter denied the Lord three times, but there we see him in the Gospel of John where Jesus met with him and reassigned him. He says, Peter, I still have work for you to do. Now, that's not a license to sin, but it's a reason to repent. And uh, Samson did. Verse 28, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me, and please strengthen me just this time, O God, that I may at once be avenged to the Philistines for my two eyes. He said, God, he remembered God, and he asked God to remember him. It's encouraging to me to think that his hair began to grow again, God wasn't finished with him. That led him to repentance, and he was restored. Look at verse number 30. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he bent with all his might, so that the house fell on the Lord's and all the people who were in it. So the dead, the dead whom he killed at, the, at his death were more than those whom he killed in his life. Uh, you can read that story, but here's, here's the point that I want to make to you. You may have fallen into sin. You may have gotten deeper than you ever expected. Sin takes us where we never planned to go. And maybe that's happened to you. What I'm saying to you today is to repent. Deal with it. Repent of it. And let the Lord restore you before others are hurt as well. Folks, God is gracious. And the Bible says that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I don't know what you're into. I don't know your heart. But I do know what the Word of God says concerning it. If you are willing to deal with your sin, confess your sin, God is willing to forgive you. Would you let Him today? If you're here without Jesus Christ, would you receive Him today? If you're a Christian and you've gotten in sin, you need to deal with it today. Deal with it today. If you're here and the Lord has said to you, you you ought to be a part of that church, would you say yes to the Lord today? To me, that's the message from this story. Our Father and God, we thank You for the story of Your grace through Samson. I pray, Lord, for these who have gathered today. I pray, Lord, that You will examine our lives and show us what You see 
and help us to be obedient to you during this time of invitation, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask that you stand with me, please. As we stand together, the choir will sing a hymn of invitation. This is an opportunity for you to say yes to the Lord. You come while they sing, and I'll greet you as you do.